Welcome to Under Control. My name is Bolaj Judik and I am your new host. Today I will speak with Alex White, former NSA network engineer and co-founder of Glacier Security. Hey Alex, uh, welcome to the show. Nice having you here. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great, thank you. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's uh, I'm in uh, western or midwest Michigan. Um, the weather is starting to turn. It's been 40 degrees for the last couple of months, so I'm excited for the weather to change. Ah, oh, sweet, sweet. I think based that we are on the other side of the world in uh, Hungary, Budapest, it's quite quite a different weather here. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have you here, and I'm very interested to have this discussion with you. Um, Let's just start off with you doing a small intro about uh, who you are, what you do, and uh, how did you, how did you get to this uh, opportunity to have a chat together? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Alex White. Um, I am one of the co-founders of a company called Glacier Security. Uh, we do a wide variety of mobile security, of specifically uh, secure communications. We we provide most of our solutions to governments, high net worth individuals, um, higher risk individuals, we call them. Those could be someone who is traveling overseas, for example, you know, going to a conference, um, you know, staying in a place where, you know, they may, they've never been before. Um, and also we worked with some, some NGOs, right? So, you know, how do you, how do we protect those comms as people go over and do humanitarian aid type work? Um, so Glacier, you know, we were formed out of the government. I'm sure we'll probably get into that uh, as well later in the conversation. Um, but yeah, so our focus is mobile security. Um, and we also do quite a bit of other kind of one-off um, security uh, just because of our backgrounds. Right. Speaking of background, um, so how did it all start? Because I assume like based on you guys started in 2015, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what what's uh what's what's your story before the times of of starting uh, Glacier? Yeah, so uh, Glacier was formed out of the intelligence community. Myself and the co of, uh, the two other co-founders uh, we met uh, in the IC. Uh, we saw a huge issue with mobile security from all the different organizations, both within our organization as well as you know other government groups, um, other commercial groups that we were working with, and. You know, we knew from being in this community that there was so much risk. We knew what was possible from different types of attack vectors. And it just made sense that we, you know, also provide that level of security for, you know, for our people, our, uh, our customers that we're working with, for example. Um, so I, yeah, so I started, uh, you know, right out of college, uh, right out of undergrad. Um, I applied to two places. Uh, my junior year of college, I applied for the FBI and the NSA. Um, so fast forward, you know, several months of not hearing from, you know, either of them, I get this massive packet, you know, email to my parents' house. And at that point I was traveling Europe uh, for my, uh, for study abroad. And my parents called me and they're like, Hey, you know, there's this, there's this department of defense document that was mailed to, uh, you know, to the home. Uh, has your name on it. And at that point I had this like, you know, just excitement, right? Because again, I only applied for, you know, two places. Uh, so I get back, um, I get back from study abroad and I fill out this information and then it's just whole entire process between my junior year of undergrad and my senior year of undergrad was just processing, right? Like 
making sure that everything checked out for me, you know, to do this. And for that, and that, uh, that position was actually just a summer, a summer internship program, right? So it was only going to be for potentially three months. And at that point of all, I've committed, right? I've committed to, you know, making this uh, happen. Um, so it took a really long time for processing. Uh, the summer internship was probably one of the best experiences that I have, I had, um, and at the end of that summer internship program, um, they offered me a position, which they usually do uh, for most of uh, the summer intern grads. And then from there, it was just, uh, I spent, it went by fast. I spent almost uh, almost 10 years in the community. And what was the role that they offered you? And what, what was the role that you were working uh, later on? Yeah, so my I undergrad program, I was focused on uh, network security, right? So um, primarily Cisco was kind of like the the hot thing, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, so I, most of my undergrad was, yeah, network security, network engineering, designing networks. When I applied for this position, they knew my background, but the actual position was very generic. It was like global network engineer, right? And you're just like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. Uh, but uh, as soon as I got there, it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of training, a lot of more education. So just, um, you know, network design in the real world, right? So in college, I felt like we were always doing lab work. We never really got hands-on on, on real networks. At that point, it was just completely overwhelming about um, how, how this massive community, you know, communicates together. Um, so was yeah, it, that was my initial position. Mm -hmm. Was it more uh, the position about defensive technologies, rather about research, or what was it focused on? Yeah, so I started more in the defensive side of things, right? So you have all these networks that are created all over the world. Um, you know, the whole idea is you know, protecting the warfighter, right? So uh, networks that could be potentially providing data to them, um, not necessarily like any type of one specific data, like classified data, like something easy, right? Something simple, like how do they communicate back home um, to their friends and family? You know, that was one of the... Uh, one of the areas too, right? So how do you secure those networks? Um, so a lot of like uh, firewall type diagnostics and that kind of stuff. Um, at that point, I knew nothing about the agency, right? I knew that they kind of separate things into, you know, different types of um, roles and organizations. Um, and then I kind of transitioned. Um, once I took a full-time position, it was actually a... Um, another internship, but this was more of a development program. So you basically can go into these programs where you have an opportunity to um, hop between the organizations every six months, for example. And that really gives the individual, like the student, uh, uh, an understanding of how the entire government, how the entire uh, intelligence community works. And then from there, you kind of have an idea, you create relationships and you have an idea of where you might want to go after you get done with a program. So you can kind of think that first year, first three years that I was there, I'd say about two and a half, was um, more training, more development, more social, you know, uh, networking with with uh, different types of organizations. Did you have an idea by the end of this uh, two and a half, three years, which direction you would want to go or explore more? Yeah, I think that um, I was more interested at that point in my life in traveling. Right. So doing more field type work, like field engineering, 
um, more, more research into mobile technology. For some reason, I always had an interest in, in mobile devices. I, I, don't, I have no idea. I have no idea why. I've always been to that person that had um, uh, like a Palm Trio, for example. I had a Palm Trio with no internet connection to it. So it made, it made no sense whatsoever to, for me to have this phone. <laughs> um, but when I got into the program, there was a, there was a mobile, uh, mobile security kind of uh, development uh, plan that you could go down. And that was very interesting to me. And at that point, the first Android devices were coming out, right? Like um, I think that the T-Mobile the uh, version of the Android device first came out. And the big thing was, you know, how do we secure this? How could we potentially use this as a tool, um, you know, to communicate? And uh, that's one of the projects that I was working on. Mm -hmm. uh, in an earlier discussion, you mentioned that there was a lot of uh, knowledge and guilty knowledge as well. Could you elaborate on what would that mean in layman's term? Yeah, from like a mobile security side of things, I think, you know, for me, you know, going into an organization like this without any previous experience, like you just assume that, um, you know, these devices are secure. I think, I mean, you know, you know, best with this podcast and, you know, with, with your products, it's like, you know, there's not, I'm never one who would ever say, Hey, this is a hundred percent hack proof, right? You see that a lot on the internet for different types of products and services. And it kind of gives you this feeling like, Oh man, that's a really bold statement, right? Like I would never, I would never <laughs> say something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, if you have from, from a research side of things, if you, and even from an educational standpoint too, like these, these labs that have all this funding and all this time and these students or PhDs, for example, like I've seen anything is possible, right? I think the conversation that we had earlier was, you know, anything with time and resources, you can, you can potentially um, bypass, you know, security measures, uh, both on the computer network side of things and definitely on the mobile device. Was this something that you thought that's possible before you joined the agency? No. Well, I mean, you kind of get those, you know, those stories at this point, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they didn't have, no one was thinking about mobile device security. It's just not something that was, you know, talked about. And I think one, because not much work was being done on, on the, on the handsets. And even when the first iPhone came out, uh, but today it's, you know, there's, it's a, it's a much it's a much more valuable target, right? Because we're using it for, for everything, you know, email, calendar, you know, sensitive communications, you know, everything basically is around this mobile device. And it's, you know, you know, like a mobile device is a different type of tech, right? Like it's, it's almost a part of, you know, your, your body. I know that sounds weird, but like, you know, you, you take someone's laptop away from them. They're like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. I don't, you know, I don't need my laptop. But if you say, Hey, give me your, your phone. You have this like, weird feeling that comes over you like no this is my phone you know um and that's just because there's a lot of information there's a lot of data in there um and then an adversary uh, whether it's a state-sponsored adversary or you know something more of like a hacker type of community like that's a value that's that's a target for them mm -hmm. and you mentioned that there was pretty much no mobile device that was secure from uh an aspect of resource slash uh, time. Would right. you say that's changed over time since uh, the last 10, 15 years? I think it's gotten better, um, but not by much. <laughs> I think that, uh, 
you know, recently there is, uh, you know, like an iPhone, you know, zero day that was, that was published Apple, you know, quietly, uh, hatched. That was within the last month or two. I think that those type of things happen quite often. Um, you know, we have no idea how long someone was able to use that particular exploit, right? You don't know how far that exploit moved throughout the community. Um, I think there's just so many things that you have to protect from, uh, from a mobile device standpoint. Like a lot of people think like, okay, I'm going to hack the phone. I'm going to plug it in, you know, use some sort of uh, tool like Celebrite. I think we should talk about that later too, the, especially the uh, what Signal did over the last few days. Uh, that you plug in a tool like Celebrite and you can just get all, magically get all the information from it, right? And in reality, that's just not the case. Um, I think from from a from a tax vector, I think your your best bet is going to be you know some sort of phishing attempt, um, you know SMS, text messaging. I don't know what it's like, you know, over on your side of the world, but over here, it's it, and the amount of spam that you get from from text messaging. You don't know if it's just you know some sort of you know way of getting people to show ads or clicks, or if it's something more targeted. And I think um, there's really no way of stopping that. Um, that as well as networks too, right? Like when I connect to some network, whether it's a hotel or an airport or you know some other open wireless network, um, there's a lot of opportunities there for for exploitation. Yeah, I was gonna ask that after all these years of experiences working with uh, these technologies, did it have any scarcity effect on you? Or how, how do you relate to this topic uh, after starting your own company, as, of course, as well? But back in the days where you were still at the agency, did you have this feeling that you were just not safe if you owned a mobile device? Yes. Do you still have that? Yeah. I, um, I do. I do. Because like you, you go around, we meet some really interesting people on the, on the, the commercial side of things. Like we're we're more targeted towards the higher risk individuals. So we're, we're talking to them about potential threats, like someone that makes, you know, X amount of millions of dollars is inevitably a threat, right? Like someone that you can Google or someone that you know of that has potential, that level of, of money, you're a threat, whether you like it or not, whether you're in the public eye or not, you're a threat. So I think like for us, like we, We've seen some really interesting things as far as like potential attacks where you kind of always have your, like I have this thought in my mind whenever I connect to like a, a Wi-Fi, for example, like just the other day, I usually bring a cellular hotspot with me. Uh, I very rarely connect to a hotel Wi-Fi network and um, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have good cell data. I had to get in, I had to do something for work. And it's just like, okay, I'm going to connect and I'm going to try to get my VPN running. You know, it's just all of these things. And I think that that complication, those, those complicated events of trying to connect to a network securely is kind of why Glacier was started because we feel like, you know, there's a lot of technical people out there that can do this, but there's a lot of people that have no, no education, no training on, on digital security. And um, that's kind of who we're, we're targeting, right? Like how do we easily provide them um, better security, increase their security posture. Um, and that situation that I just explained in the hotel happens every single day. Like there's not, there's not a situation where like, you know, 
connecting to a Wi-Fi network or connecting to a cellular uh, hotspot is easy. And I feel like there's always, there's always, one, there's always something that happens and um, inevitably you just go back to um, the most you know, insecure way because you just need to do that thing. You need to go on and, and connect to the network and do that thing. So you, you just want to take that risk. Yeah. In regards to that, when you started the company and we will, uh, deep dive into the details of that but did you feel like there was an out-of-the-box solution like one that fits all for all these threats no no and that was one of the things too that was really difficult to get out because i don't believe there is any um one solution right like i don't think that there is one app or one network device that you can install that's going to protect you know a device you know glaciers you know glacier we make um a secure messaging platform right so we do text you know voice video file transfer but then we rely on a lot of different service other services and, and, and um, partners to do other things like there's no way that we could provide all the different solutions and i think that's a fair thing as long as we're like transparent about it like hey you know we've been working with this company for the last couple of years they provide x y and z so what glacier does is you know we we um essentially bring an entire device to somebody right so if you're an iphone user we're going to give you an iphone right if you're an android user we're going to give you an android device so we do a full, you know, full hardware configuration, uh, almost assembly line style, right? So for protecting, you know, the executive leadership team, for example, you know, we've had, you know, eight to 10 iPhones come into our office. So we basically, you know, like I said, assembly line style configuration um, using our, our tools as well as, you know, other partners tools, you know, to, to attempt to reduce the attack surface, right? And again, going back to, no device is 100% hack proof. Yeah. Who would you describe as your ideal profile for buyers? Um, I would say it is uh, a net worth, um, executive leadership teams, um, traveling scientists, traveling salesperson. That's going to be, you know, type of uh, end user as well as um governments um you know we uh, we started out of the government uh, I, I would say right at this point we're most of our customers are primarily commercial uh, but we definitely hold still that that base of, of government customers so essentially we could say that you came up with the solution working with the nsa and then created a company and just went back and pitched the idea for them? How did they take it? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, I think uh, it took it took a while, right? Because, um, you know, our first customer was the government. Um, but we quickly realized that our product was really designed for uh, more of the high-risk travelers on the commercial side of things. It's just we didn't have a product yet that was tailored for them. You know, like our first solution was, it was an Android device. I think we were running like on a Moto G something. Um, it was only Android. We did voice and text, um, no video. And, you know, I have this experience that I tell, um, I tell people when I talk about starting the company, we had an opportunity to pitch our solution to um, a massive company in New York and New York. So, uh, you know, our first pitch we're there, we, we get to their conference room 
And um, there's all these executives sitting around. And while I'm doing the pitch, they're all on their phones, right? Not paying attention to anything that I'm saying. At, at one point, you know, I finally get to the end where we're like, hey, you know, we want you to use this secure device for a week and just show us and just let us know how, how it goes. So I give this guy an Android device. Like I said, it was probably a Moto G. And he looks at the device and he was like, I don't know what that is. And I said, what do you mean you don't know what, what do you mean it's a, it's a phone? He's like, I'm an iPhone user. I don't use Android devices. I'll never use Android devices. And at that point we realized, I realized it's like, we can't, we can't just rip someone's like, again, that iPhone from them and give them a, a completely foreign device. Like they're not going to use it. So at that point, you know, we kind of rethought what our product offerings were and you know, we started focusing on putting resources to iOS because we knew we knew that if we were going to try to attempt this commercial, you know, opportunity, we had to support Apple devices. Mm -hmm. It's a very very interesting segment that you are um, working with, but I would imagine word of mouth has quite a big effect in your in this industry. Uh, how do how how do people find you? Uh, because as once again said, very very specific segment. Yeah, it's definitely word of it's definitely a huge um, uh, word of mouth. Um, you know, I think one of the great things about the government community is over all these all the time. You know, I've been in this you know almost yeah almost fifteen years. I think it's one of those things where you have you know someone who leaves you know leaves the government and becomes some sort of engineer, for example, for for uh, for a commercial based company. That happens a lot. Um, where you have government people that, you know, learn, learn a lot of skills about things and then they're just, you know, they want to try something else. They try the private sector. And I think a lot of the times, you know, you know, every week I have a conversation or a new call. It's like, Hey, you know, I used to work with you and, you know, in this, this area, uh, you know, what are you guys doing? And I think that's, that's, that's kind of how we've grown over the last five years um, is providing a solution that not many other companies do. Um, it's difficult to advertise this type of solution, right? Like, how do you, how do you just target? Like, you know, I want to sell high, you know, I want to sell high net worth secure communications. Well, like they don't, they don't know us. They don't have that trust. They don't, you know, how no one's ever going to go to our website and say, yeah, I want to, I want to buy that right now. Right. So it's a lot about creating relationships. Um, you know, we're big and if someone's interested in our product, like we want to get in front of them, like face to face, we want to understand their pain points, understand if they've had any issues in the past. And then how do we, how do we first get their devices and their communication secure? And then from there, let's talk about other problems that you, you potentially have. Yeah, the threat in the industry and, and specifically regarding mobile devices, we can say it's a new thing in the last 10, 15 years. How open are these people for education or or or? or the experiences that you can share with them in general? Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time they're very open to it. I think, um, the, the technical, some people that we talk to are, have a, a decent technical background, but they just, they don't understand the type of threats that, you know, some of us have seen. So I think a lot of them are, if we make it easy, if we make the training easy, right? Like how to, make it make sense from a day-to-day -day, like actual day-to-day -day usage like like i said before we we target like the uh, training hotels and, and airports and also networks that are not familiar to the user um 
but usually they're really into it. You know, we do all kinds of different training from, you know, just generic, what is a mobile device? How does it communicate and how do, how does Glacier secure it on like a level one? And usually they're, they're very interested in, in, in learning more. Um, yeah. um, and, and how do you feel uh, about, do you think your past at the NSA um, contributes to the trust they have in you guys? Because, I mean, let's address it. A lot of people, I think, have a specific idea about NSA and how much resources they might have, how much uh, researches they can do. And one could say that if after all, all the shady years, so to say, that you had the chance to experience with different technologies and how to break them, uh, do you think that's a contributing factor for the trust they have in you? Yeah, I think so. Uh, well, I will say it's either it's one way or the other, right? Um, we've been in situations where um, most of the conversations that we're getting is because of our backgrounds. Right? I think there's like some some trust that just comes out of there um, for us to kind of tell us or tell our experience, our story, you know, what we've seen. You know, for example, um, other times it's hurt us, right? Like we've had situations where people. Um, say, yeah, I'm not going to work with that company because of their backgrounds. And, and at that point, there's really nothing that we can we can do, right? There's no there's no conversation that can make that potentially right. And I, I completely understand that. But I think for us, like our unfair advantage is having that 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 experience, that background, that knowledge. And I think there's enough um, customers out there that 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 really makes them feel comfortable. Um, and we, all, we, we always bring it up. We're very transparent about it. Um, that usually is something that allows our customers to, or potential customers warm up to us. Um, it's just to have that experience. But yeah, there's definitely situations. Um, uh, like for example, we, post, we posted something a few months ago about some release notes on Twitter. And we got just a, one particular person that was like, why would you ever use this product? Because it's, you know, they're, they're, their backgrounds are X, Y, and Z. And it's like, I, we can't, you know, we're not going to hide that, you know, for people. I'm quite curious about your opinion in, in this topic as well, because in, a, in our previous talk, I also asked you, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear it again, or just for showing for the audience as well. Um, when you started working at the NSA, there was already news about the priest program. And then in 20. 13 Edward Snowden uh, happened as well. How does one deal with all these situation working with the government? How, how did how did you take it or how do you feel about it? That, because as you say now, people would also um, think about NSA in a, in a particular aspect because of the mm. previous historical mm. reasons. Um, how does one address it while working for, for the government? Yeah, I think at the time it was really difficult um just because you know that's all we knew right that's all we knew that's what you you did from a day-to-day -day basis you came in you worked inside the government and um when that particular event happened it was it was kind of frustrating it's unfortunate that it happened the way that it happened um you know as far as it didn't really directly relate to anything that that my organization was doing um but when but that was basically like the story, right? That was the story for a long time. And I think a lot of things definitely changed. Um, 
even in our organization, right? Like, just like I said, it was, it was the spotlight. Like that was, that was the thing that was happening. I think after, you know, however long it's been, I, I completely understand the opposite. Um, you know, the, the, the opinion that it was the right thing to do. Like I get it. Um, but again, I think it, I'm always going to be team, you know, us, uh, team intelligence community, just because those are, I grew up in that, right. I grew up in that world. Um, my friends, you know, who I call my family are still, you know, some, some are still there. Some have, some have moved on. Um, I think like my opinion is, it's just, it's really unfortunate that, that, that happened the way that, the way that it did. So, um, yeah, not not very a controversial uh, answer to your <laughs> to your question. No, I see your point as well. I guess it's also limited how much you can discuss or or cannot discuss um, during during the show. So that that's perfectly fine. I have another question though. During the years where you were still there, so how would one imagine a day at NSA and and communications uh, or communicating with other colleagues as well? So um, you mentioned that um, the whole background or the root of the of glacier started at the at NSA so could you go into details of what was exactly the issue and and how did you experience it yeah um yeah so when we started when I started at this you know was looking at mobile devices and then moving through different organizations in the development program um it was and again, like, I think we had this conversation before, like you could go, you have to imagine it almost as like a city, right? Like you don't know everything. You don't know everybody that works there. And that's through a lot of different government organizations. So it's really difficult um, to say what other, what other organizations were using. I, it, for, for us, it was like very basic, you know, like, um, when you're doing communications, you're going to use, you know, this particular Blackberry, I mean, it was a Blackberry at that time. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of, um, there wasn't, there wasn't data, there wasn't VPN, there wasn't a messaging service. Um, you know, there's, you have to kind of think like we, there's no like development organization that's creating apps for <laughs> these people to, <laughs> to use. Um, and when I, and when I came in, I was like, why, you know, how do we not have a better way to communicate? And um, there's a few guys there that were asking the same questions. And, you know, for us, we were just sort of like, you know, taking open source type uh, technologies and trying to build something out. Um, I think that the most difficult part was um, how do you make at that point end to end encrypted communications. And, you know, so we had this, um, we had this uh, director, um, with a mentor of mine, uh, still is, and he would run this. Uh, he would run this like kind of like exercise. It's like uh, the the Washington Post exercise, right? Like, so if you if you were to you know use some sort of communications tool, and you know someone took that device from you and they looked at it, what would that news article look like in the Washington Post, right? And it was like something that you always play in your mind, like. Yeah, that probably is not a good idea. Like they're using WhatsApp or they're using, you know, Signal wasn't around at that point. Um, but we, you know, we have to have something better. Like we're the NSA, we have to have something better than this. And that, that just wasn't, that just wasn't the case. I think that that's kind of where our idea came from. And it wasn't necessarily how to secure 
the like the actual communications, like the actual messaging communications. It was more about how do you how do you connect to networks and um, essentially uh, reduce the attack surface. So I'll give you an example, right? So your phone is connecting to you know, a bunch of different services, right? So what if we move those services around um, throughout the month or throughout the year? So for example, you know, our product, you can say, hey, I'm communicating to this messaging server. Uh, by the time that some adversary sees that that communications is going to that server, we burn that server down, we replace it with a new one. So, um, you know, obviously there's ways uh, that you could potentially see uh, as things are, are, are changing, but all we're trying to do is just make it a little bit more difficult for the adversary. Um, so my, my background was more on the network side of things. And once we, once cloud networking started to get, to get, uh, you know, easier, cheaper, easy to, uh, to access, that's when things started getting interesting because at that point we could launch servers in seconds, right? Where we used to have to use, you know, metal, um, which just doesn't have that, that changeover effect. What I'm curious about is, um, you mentioned that some part of 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 your uh, area is pretty much supplying hardware as well to your customers. Does it mean that you mainly have customers from US, or is it starting to become a global uh, thing? Yeah, it's primarily the US. I, we do have some overseas customers. Um, you're not sorry for for you overseas, right? Uh, some non-US customers. Um, primarily, it is US based. You know, so mm -hmm. one of the things that we do is, you know, try to protect against the supply chain threats. So that would be, you know, hey, what if I procure an iPhone or it doesn't have to be an iPhone, right? But let's just say we'll procure an iPhone. Um, you know, how is that security straight from the manufacturer, straight from the distributor? And that's something that's an easy, it's uh, an easy thing to solve. Um, and for us, that's just something that we just offer our customers. So how that would play out is that we have a wide variety of, uh, companies that we've created relationships with that can procure these devices for us. And that basically just allows us to not tie a particular serial number to Glacier or the customer, right? So mm -hmm. again, the whole idea of Glacier is that to, uh, just to make things a little bit more difficult for someone to know who's using that device. Um, and who purchased that device. So that's something that we just do for, for all of our customers, whether they ask for you know, that or not. Um, we, so like if I were to procure 10 devices, I might get those 10 devices from three or four different um, partners. And then those devices would come into our spaces and they would be configured. Yeah, so what I'm curious about is that based on your previous experience at the NSA and saying that you know, you can't really trust any mobile device anymore. Um, can you trust the factories that are producing the devices? Uh, I don't know. That's that's a tough that's a tough one. I think the factories themselves. Like you mentioned, you that there was there was only a matter of amount of resources and time. Like, what's stopping? A group of hackers or the government, so to say, for reaching it directly to the manufacturer. Yeah, I think, I think if you're going directly from the manufacturer, that was one of the re you know one of the reasons why we primarily recommend 
you know, uh, if you're any iOS device, and if you're going to do Android, we recommend you know the Google Pixel line, which for the most part is straight from uh, straight from Google. Obviously, there's they ship them to distributors, and distributors ship them to you know big box stores, for example. Um, that's I think where the threat is right there, as as devices are flowing through from the manufacturer to these other distribution channels. Um, that being said, some of the other devices that our customers, I don't think we have any customers using um, some of the more popular devices that are that are overseas, right? There's a, a ton of different Android manufacturers. Um, I'm not going to call out any of the, any of them, <laughs> right? But there's definitely been situations where someone has been able to um, get access to supply chain straight from the manufacturer. Like, I think you, you go back to the trust level, right? Like, do you trust this company um, and their employees that are working in this area um, versus, you know, straight from Apple or straight from Google, for example? Um, I think that a phone, if you were to track it, like if you were to track like a Google phone on, on how many people touch it, that's a, it's, a, it's scary, right? Because if yeah. they're able to figure out, hey, I, you know, I'm a distributor for Washington, D.C., for example, right? Like that might be an interesting target, um, a potential uh, target um, where you might be able to exploit, right? Like you might exploit 500 to 1,000 devices. You have no idea where that device is going to land, right? So for us, you know, to try to, limit that by by procuring devices not in those channels i think is is one of those just things that we do that i don't know i don't know who else is doing yeah um what i'm curious about as well is that you can see in a lot of thrillers or or, or different movies that people are using burner cells um in layman's term could you explain what's that and and if you recommend it is it an alternative for a regular iphone or android um could you talk a bit about that yeah. Yeah. So there's a funny, th uh, a funny kind of like story or meme that goes around in the privacy world is, you know, someone carrying around a burner right in the same pocket as their primary device and just completely defeats the purpose of having a burner. Um, I think uh, a burner would be a device that has no, no, um, you know, PII data linked to, to yourself, right? So personal identifiable information. So uh, you would use those devices for a temporary trip, for example. Um, so this device would be um, no Google account, no Apple account. The problem with a burner device these days is that um, you know, the first thing you do when you purchase an iPhone or an Android device is you log into your iCloud account or you log into your uh, Google account. Um, you don't have to. Right, you don't have to log in. It's just at that point, you know, from from Apple side of things, you can't download applications. Uh, from a Google side of things, you have to use a third-party app store, you know, to download APKs on your device, which is a which is a potential uh, threat there as well. So I think today it's more it's way more difficult. We recommend um, temporary or burner devices um, for someone who is doing a potential quick trip. Um, over to a higher risk area. Um, so we might procure a Google Pixel. We'll load it into a mobile device manager, which allows us to completely remove um, the need for a Google account, right? And again, you have to kind of understand what you're trying to protect yourself from, right? Are you protecting yourself from Google or are you protecting yourself from a potential adversary um, where you're going? 
And I think that's the first you need to decide, right? There's, if you, if you don't trust a company like Apple and Google, there's a lot more work to be done. Yeah, I'm very curious about this part as well. Is it a rather local issue that you normally need to protect against? Because you mentioned that it depends on the area and there are different high risk areas as well. What would those be? And is, is this a local issue or localizational issue? Yeah, I think for, uh, it is, it is. And I think the threat really comes down to who you are um, or what company you're representing. Um, so if you're a public figure and you're traveling to a higher risk area, let's just call it you know, how we see it. Like if you're going to China, you're going to Russia, um, those type of areas, more likely than not, there's going to be some sort of, you know, targeting that, is, that has happened, whether depending on the sophistication, who, who really knows. But I think the one thing you have to understand is it's, it's they, those countries owned the telecommunications network network. So um, if you have a burner device or temporary device and you always put the same SIM card in it and you're always connecting to the same cell towers, there's no protecting yourself, right? They, they know that you are in the country basically hey this sim card is now connected to the telephone uh, can can i say the russian intelligence would like to penetrate a particular mobile device of a particular person in who the person is currently located in the us would that be possible or is it actually easier if that particular person is in russia for the example I think it's definitely easier if the person's in, <laughs> in Russia because you're, you know, you're in their territory and they own all the infrastructure and um, there's the, the risk is much lower. Uh, that being said, I think that our telephone, uh, our cellular networks are dated and they have their own issues, um, right? Uh, you, you hear about different types of attacks um, just by, you know, gaining access to the telephone network, whether that's you know, social engineering, somebody at T-Mobile uh, or, you know, do something a little more sophisticated where you're leveraging like a phishing attempt. Um, but I think that if you are in that country's region, that country's, you know, basically playground, I think it's way more, way more of a risk. And you mentioned that if you have your normal mobile device in your pocket, plus a burner, it defeats the purpose. If you use it with two different SIM card, why would that be? Well, because you're kind of linking, um, you can basically see, okay, well, if I see that Alex's phone is connecting to this cellular network and you have this other device that's right next to it everywhere, um, uh, everywhere Alex's device, this other uh, SIM card is going, it's fairly easy for someone who, uh, sophisticated, you know, uh, filtering and searching that can basically say, okay, there's something interesting about this other phone that's it, that's near that person, whether it's his burner phone or maybe it's someone that he's you know he's working with for example um it would be very easy for someone to uh, basically filter down and say hey show me all devices that are um that are near this particular uh cellular device so say you have you have a person who would be a, a high risk target traveling to russia or china so to say uh what would be your care package for this individual <laughs> yeah um it all depends. I think um, ideally you procure a device that's uh, that's clean, that's safe, right? Like something that's new, that's never traveled before, right? Because um, 
those IMEIs on the phone are, are burned into the device, right? So as you connect to the network, they're essentially burned at that point. Uh, there's no sense in factory wiping the device or doing anything with applications. There's, there's really nothing you can do. So a, a fresh device, a fresh SIM card. Um, SIM cards are interesting too. Um, I don't know what it's like over there, but there's many countries that require identification before you purchase uh, a SIM card. That's that's pretty much the same all over in Europe in the last couple of years because of uh, protection against terrorism. Yeah, yeah. So it used to be um, you could go into any like convenience store and buy a data-only SIM um, with cash and put the SIM inside your phone and, and you know, you're good to go for a week or you're good to go for a month. What's super interesting about the data SIMs is that now like, you know, there's many applications out there, but like we have a, a dialing app that just can replace your dialer on your phone. And that doesn't require an actual phone number because it uses data to make those phone calls. So if I just have a self or a data only SIM inside my phone, I can do pretty much anything I want as far as from a communication standpoint. So for, for uh, the countries that you can go and you can, you can basically pick those up within a couple of minutes, you know, with, with 10 euro, for example, um, that's, that's the best way to go. But like you said, that that's going away. Um, you know, Dubai, for example, they require a passport. Yeah. Um, Same in know, Europe, to, pretty much all over. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also like, for example, the Dominican Republic, you have to have, you know, a, essentially their version of a driver's license to also get, you know, a SIM card. And I think that that's kind of one of the restricting factors, um, you know, uh, for, for, someone that's higher risk so what you could do which obviously there's cost involved in this is you know, have someone else procure that sim card on behalf of the other user or the other person and as you can imagine like the logistics in that and the cost in that could be a little out of reach for you know some for some people but that's something that that we could do that we could that we would recommend doing mm-hmm Interesting. Now, another topic that I wanted to raise is the whole pandemic. Of course, we are all in it in the last, well, it's a bit over a year already. Um, how did it change the business for you if it did? Or what are the mm -hmm. changes that you experienced in the past one year? Yeah, I think it definitely affected us. Um, you know, we our, again, our, our primary focus is protecting people in high risk situations, high risk travel. And um, across the board, travel was, was down. So I think for us, it was one of those things where we had to focus on one, building up the product. We used the opportunity to build the product, um, continue to advance the product, um, and also kind of prepare for uh, what life would be like after you know, the, the pandemic. So I think for the, for the, for the last, I'd say, you know, over here in the States, things are pretty bad still, um, but travel is definitely starting to pick back up. Um, so we've been supporting much more events lately uh, than we ever did over the last year and a few months. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, we definitely, we were definitely affected. Uh, yeah, and that was also- But I will say- mm -hmm. Sorry, carry oh, on. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, we, we kind of, we did pivot a little bit and saying, you know, as your employees are sitting at your home, at their, at their house, how do you know that their networks are secure? How do you know that, um, you know, for example, if I'm living in 
uh, a dense environment, right? Like say New York City, for example, you know, there's a, a lot of risk from a wireless uh, security exploitations, right? Um, so how do you protect those users um, at home? So we started to kind of go down that path and we started to provide a lighter weight, I'd say, solution of our product um, that was more tailored towards, you know, um, all individuals within the enterprise uh, versus just the high risk ones. Yeah. Would you say it's rather uh, the corporate segment or is it more like family offices and similar uh, segments? Uh, as far as like our customer base? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say more of, of a f more, more family offices just because um, we feel like we can come in and provide them almost like a, like you almost have Glacier working for your family office rather than just buying a product or buying a license from us. Mm -hmm. um, we, we don't like the idea of just saying, here's a license to log into our application, go for it. Like we, we want to be more part of uh, your organization. Some people like that. Some people don't like that. Uh, we do have uh, some enterprise customers where they just, they run our system themselves and we come in and um, provide a little bit of, you know, you know, train the trainees or train the trainers. Um, but that's, that's definitely not our, our main, you know, our main goal. Yeah, I see. I see. All right. And that was another big change as well, specifically for you guys, but I guess a little bit for everyone in the world is the Trump versus Biden administration change. Uh, I don't, I, I'm not necessarily trying to figure out your political views here. It's rather about, did it affect you in any way or what's your experience with the new Biden administration? I think from a Glacier standpoint, I don't think it affected us much. Um, again, it's it's unfortunate the, the way that things kind of unfolded with, you know, the transition and just over the last few years, there's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of topics are, are, are very you know, polarizing. Um, from an intelligence community standpoint, I always, I, we had a lot of a really good group of people that I worked with that during the administration changes, that's just something that we just don't, you don't necessarily talk about. Um, and I think it's just because it's better that way, right? Like you want, you don't want to have some sort of uh, conflict between the people that you're working with closely. Um, yeah, so I think that that's probably the best mentality to look at it, you know, and I, that's that continues through Glacier as well, because, um, you know, our employees, you know, we train them to not have an opinion about that, right? Whether you whether you do or not, like you should have an opinion, but, you know, we have customers that are on both sides of, you know, I'm, I'm pro this, I'm pro that. So, you know, we don't want to necessarily pick sides. Yeah, but if we just look at it from the other perspective that in the past couple of years, the whole trade war between China and the US increased and wouldn't affect the whole intelligence community. I mean, wouldn't there be increased amount of threats because of that as well? And that yeah, would indirectly so. reflect to Glacier as well, I assume, and your yeah. clients. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I think especially, you know, as you are... Um, putting up different restrictions and like you said, you know, trade war, you know, type of events. I think that just increases that, um, that, uh, I would say, what do you say? Like temperature, like in, in the community, the, the across all intelligence community, the tension. Right. And I think other, uh, governments are willing to 
try more things, right? Whether that's, you know, actually to, to conduct espionage or if it's just to be like, Hey, just so you know, I, you know, I'm here. Like it's just, you're, you're poking the bear. I think, I think that that, that temperature has definitely gone up um, over the last you know few years, um, which we try to educate our users while going overseas or going to different countries, that that potential government climate can increase the risk um, for them. You mentioned earlier in the um, in the discussion that some of the clients were involved in research as well. I'm not sure if, if you can discuss this as well, but I imagine part of this whole pandemic was a crazy rush towards creating a vaccine that could help uh, remedy the whole solution. Um, I guess it might have an indirect effect to you guys as well, right? Because a research for a vaccine is one thing, but there are different suppliers involved, different researchers, different politicians, different uh, organizations who are funding the research involved. So there is a large picture here. Um, would you say that that was something that was an interesting area or you were involved or that's not something that you guys uh, help with? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, these communications are super sensitive. And I think mainstream um, knowledge of secure communications was very limited before um, the pandemic. I think the big, like what the big story that hits me is the Zoom, you know, Zoom's um, uh, story with their, you know, quote unquote, end to end encryption. And I think that that, <laughs> yeah, that, that, was uh, that was a big one that I think a lot of different, um, you know, technical like CISOs and CTOs started to ask questions like, okay, well, what is end to end encryption? And then Fast forward a little bit to WhatsApp, the WhatsApp, uh, you know, privacy with the, the policy message that popped up for all yep. their, you know, billions of users basically saying, you know, poorly worded, basically saying, hey, you know, we're going to give all of your information to Facebook. At that point in that that transition, that, that flood of users to signal yeah. was, gr was, it, was great for us because here we are, the small company, you know, just trying to get our word out about securing your communications. And um, it's tough. People don't want to listen, right? Like you look at uh, text messages. Well, isn't iMessage encrypted? That, that conversation always comes up. Um, but now people are starting to think about uh, secure communications. And going back to your question about the pandemic and the research, people are coming to us and saying, hey, you know, we're working on this project. How do we position ourselves to do this, to communicate securely, because people are all over the place, right? Like, so you have people that are in labs or people who are communicating or making a product, they're in all different parts of the world. And the products today are what? You have Slack, you have, um, you have Microsoft Teams, for example, all of these really great products that have a lot of features, but unfortunately the security is not the level of what I think they should be. And I think the reason for that is because it's difficult to offer all of these really great features and also add, for example, end-to-end -end encryption, just because from, from a design perspective and a math perspective, like adding end-to-end -end encryption to all of these things is, is at this point almost impossible to do. So having a solution like us that they can use for out-of-band kind of more sensitive communications is kind of where we're feeling like where we're filling that gap. There's no way we'll ever compete 
with a company like Microsoft for Microsoft Teams. And we're not trying to, right? Use Microsoft Teams, but when you want to have a, a, a different conversation, there's other applications, there's other ways to do that. And whether that's Signal or, um, you know, our product, um, you know, there's there's many other opportunities. Yeah, um, very interesting you brought that up because I think there was a lot of discussions lately around security versus convenience and if you can have both in the same time. And, and I personally think that's not really the case. And as far as I understand from your words, you, you pretty much agree on this. And the case about Signal and the scandal that they had with uh, mobile coin, that was a great example where they essentially take an oath of about end-to-end encrypted messaging uh, as for security. And then they pretty much try to combine it with com- uh, with convenience, with being able to pay, uh, at least for now in the UK, via the app. So I'm wondering, what's, what's your take about that? It's super strange. It's super strange to me that this is the kind of way that they're going. Um, and who knows that they could still pull it. Um, so for, for your listeners, if they don't know, it's, they basically have um, established a relationship with MobileCoin. MobileCoin is, you know, just like any other coin, um, you know, out there. And uh, basically they want to add a new feature into Signal where you can pay your friends. It's very similar to how, you know, Venmo works here in the States, um, you know, PayPal, for example, Cash App is another one that's that's very popular here. Or Revolut um, in uh, in Europe for the European yeah. listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's all these other services that are out there that have, you know, for example, no fees, right? And um, and I'm not a crypto, I'm not a crypto hater at, <laughs> at all. I just think it's tough. It's tough for me to see, you know, using an app like Signal to send money to people and also pay. You know, currently there's a sixty cent. Uh, fee per transaction, uh, but pushing that aside, it's it's strange because um, I don't think the Signal community goes to Signal, you know, for that type of product and service. You know, to me, you know, we have customers that use Signal. We put Signal on devices that we give to people on top of, of our application, so there's no competition there whatsoever. Um, so that being said, like we think of them as like the the standard, right? Like non you know, nonprofit organization that's providing secure end-to-end encryption to the world. And they've done some fantastic work. So this particular addition, this feature thing that they're they're that they're adding is really strange for me. I don't I don't know what the reason for uh he was if you I don't know if you listened to Moxie was Moxie was on Joe Rogan a few months ago and he talked about um, how secure messaging is not the only thing that they're going to be doing. I think that was kind of like a hint. Um, he was more talking about from a social media perspective, right? Like how do you do end-to-end encrypted social media? And even when he said that um, on that particular podcast, I was kind of taken back like, hey, you know, like you have a great thing going on here, right? Like there's, you don't necessarily need to add social media, you know, crypto coins, all, all these things to it. So for me, I think that it's, it's, it's a really interesting uh, decision, but who knows? I mean, they have, they have a huge user base, right? Yeah. Don't you think that some of the, some of the people who are involved in cryptography are to some extent, uh, philanthropists, they try to change the world for the better and 
this could be a manifestation of that from pure good hardness, pretty much trying to serve more people with convenience, being able to pay uh, for your friend in, a, in an easy in-app solution. Don't you think that could just be that? I do. I, I personally think so. I think also too, that, you know, you're, you're choosing a coin. I've never heard of it before they posted it on signal. I don't know if, if that's something that, that you've heard of. Uh, I haven't, I did see that there was 450% increase just in a couple of weeks, which was, which, which let's just say it's suspicious to some extent. And I assume that that was part of the issue, uh, that blown up this whole scandal. Um, yeah, so the scandal is really it comes down to um, you know Moxie's relationship with with MobileCoin uh, before the actual um, or the lack of transparency of this, about this, it, right, right. And there was a um, and I've I've only read you know some if you, you could spend all day on Reddit looking at some of these these comments, right, uh, some of these stories about it, but um, you know it looks like they removed his name from a technical white paper you know it was clearly obvious obvious that they removed his name from a technical white paper that being said like if he had a relationship and trust with mobile coin he thought that and and i i assume this was the actual decision making like why would i go with someone who i don't know and naturally in a, a technology that i don't trust so i don't think that there's anything malicious i think that it, it may be just that it was a poor a poor series of events. And I think they probably could have got out in front of it better, you know, releasing it. Um, so I don't know. What do you think? I think it's, um, it perhaps comes down to PR and the way how it was communicated, because as you say, naturally, if he was part of, uh, as a CTO, if he was part of the team who built, uh, mobile coin, and he trusts that it was the best solution to be built in in Signal, then it's natural that he chose that. It's just the way how it was communicated. I think especially uh, privacy freaks, so to say, I think most of us prefers clear communication, transparency in the world of privacy because we want to know what's behind the curtain. And, and when there mm -hmm. is a company that, that's a big promoter of privacy, uh, we would expect that all the communication uh, coming from them would be transparent and perhaps that's what people missed uh the most yeah i think that they're also they were a fairly small company and up until what a few you know a few months ago and i think that that growth can potentially uh cause you know cause issues like you said with like a like a pr type event like i think it just could have been handled better yeah i think also, there was the scandal of, of WhatsApp uh, and their uh, privacy policy change, but also uh, Elon Musk uh, also contributed to this whole Signal boom because he also tweeted uh, just this use Signal. And then the mm -hmm. next day, they got millions of new uh, users. And I think uh, as a small company, um, I can imagine there was a lot on their plate to deal with and perhaps this was just a bit too much and they didn't handle the best way. Um, but I'm sure they, uh, they wanted the best for their, uh, users as a nonprofit organization. So that would be my take. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, as the time is, uh, time is soon up, um, for a takeaway, um, for the listeners, would there be any book that you would recommend reading that you enjoy, that you think it's 
interesting or exciting from this whole intelligence industry or privacy, so yeah. to say? Yeah, I do. I think um, a lot of the times when people recommend books, it's like a self-help or you know, like some sort of story. Uh, there's a, a fictional book called Blood Money, which is a really, uh, really interesting story uh, about a CIA person in Pakistan. Uh, so I, I think if your listeners are into fictional uh, kind of spy thrillers, um, I think that that book was, was, was pretty fun. So it's great you mentioned it's fictional and and we had this conversation about mobile device protection i just i just i'm somewhat skeptical about what might be fictional and what not in that book but <laughs> i'm very excited to to read it um well then thanks alex for joining it's been it's been yeah. great having you yeah really appreciate you having me this is fun all right talk to you then and, and thank you for joining once again